Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything School HQ. Many forget, but not on this very program. We never forget where everything School HQ resides, where uh, the Tennessee Volunteers come away with a uh, strong victory over the UTSA Roadrunners, um, even with the 19th McCown uh popping in the fray uh in the third quarter to try and make things interesting uh with a perfect quarter really uh for the roadrunners but it was to no avail for uh for those utsa roadrunners because they go down to the tennessee volunteers that we'll get into in a little bit but before we do any deep dives into the tennessee volunteers which is what people tune into this very program for primarily tennessee volunteers all the time on the college football show here with fellow university of north georgia alumni matt green matt good evening sir how are you I'm doing well, sir. I hope you don't um, alienate all of the listeners uh, this early in the pod, thinking it's just going to be all Tennessee. Hopefully, we can get it out of the way and and talk about real college football. 
real college football. <laughs> wow. I mean, all eyes no, are going to be on. I, I'm, um, I'm not going to pretend to uh, have watched much of this UTSA-Tennessee uh, game. So I'll, I'll wait for your uh, your synopsis to, to, make my, to make my opinion. Okay. Well, we have time. And just like that, uh, we did not, my wife and I, we walked out of, uh, we saw the Haunting of Venice um, on set, late Saturday night. And uh, George is on the highlights and they're up like 42-14 against UAB. And uh, she was like, oh, don't you want to watch this game? Like, why are you watching you? And I was like, I don't I didn't need to watch UGA UAB. What are we talking about? What? And it was uh, it was funny. And she was like, oh, UAB, are they not good? No, they're they're not. It's not a whole thing. No, it's so weird. So weird to play someone like UAB a second time in what, three years? Like uh. the Ball State one, that was the rushed one where like they had to cancel the Oklahoma game, but this was yeah. already playing Ball State twice or UAB. At least they're not going at UAB like Alabama over here, going at South Florida. But um, I actually disagree. Yeah. I think that would have been cooler. That would have been a fun. No. That would have been a more interesting matchup. Like that's more. Interesting. I'm sure UAB would get like half of the money that they would get for mm. than than coming to Athens to 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 get that beat down but um yeah trent dilfer was i don't know something like he's respectful but he was way too excited for that game all right well matt green uh week four of the college football season in the books um i'm very excited for this program for a multitude of reasons not just because i love talking college football with you twice a week during the college football season but it's because i know matt green i i was doing the math uh late last night and how our picks and how our spreads ended up going. And unfortunately for that man down there in Tequila, Georgia, it was a rough weekend uh, for him, if no, I recall. No, it was not, sir. It was a fantastic weekend for yourself. But um, uh, that's I'll, where we're going. I'll Do you go want to leave with that? This. What made I'll it great for Chase Thomas here? It definitely was Chase Thomas's weekend. But against the spread, believe it or not, we were tied. We both okay. went six, four, and one against the spread this week, so I gained no ground on you there. <laughs> uh, you got a two-game lead against the spread, but you went ten and one Ooh, overall on the weekend. Only loss would have been who? Uh, Which UCLA. wasn't even a loss. Fourteen to seven was my upset pick of the week, and UCLA right there in a dogfight. And if you don't throw a pick six to open the game, you're looking at overtime. Hey, I mean, how, how, do you, how do you think I feel over here? My two mm. upsets of the picks of the week. Clemson, 28-yarder. They just have right there to beat Florida State. Should have had it. Notre Dame, you know, we'll obviously get into that. But the third and 19 late, like for Notre Dame to let that one slip away, like it, it felt like the, the Bush-Push game mm. uh, all over again. But, yeah, so I, super close. So Notre Dame was three and a half. So against the spread, that was a win for me. But, um. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, didn't get that one uh, overall. But yeah, I went eight and three overall on the Ooh. weekend to, to your ten and one. It was a solid week, but nothing to uh, n- nothing compared to Chase Thomas over there. So uh, you now have a one game lead on me overall in uh, two games against the spread. So still, and really, early, I went. Many years saying I went eleven and zero because I did a service to Chip Kelly and his football acumen, where I said, "Look, true freshman on the road." Like that was me just believing in Chip. And I was right because a lot of people were like, Utah, just going to drub them. And you're like, a lot of people were circling that one. And like, they can't go on the road and beat this Utah team. My whole thing on Utah was, they did cover, I'm not a though. believer. They did not. But I'm not a believer in this year's Utah team. I think they're they're very beatable. And then you look at it on UCLA side, they're, they're cooking with something. And Dante Moore is going to be a really good player. And that was uh, invaluable experience for him to 
go into Utah and uh, experience that and play pretty well by and large. Uh, and being I mean, Utah shut them out for 55 minutes or something in this he game. He played well. Did like you watch they, it? 300 yards, dominated. I think, for Dante Moore? I don't think so. It wasn't, I wouldn't say domination. I mean, the defense, the defense kept him out of the end zone basically the entire game until, what, five minutes left? I don't know whenever they scored. I don't know, man. He uh, he has a Dante Moore has an eighty-seven point three PFF grade and nine point four percent big time throw rate, which is eighth in the Power Five. And he had some big ones in this one too. I don't know. I just uh, I'm, I'm high good. on uh, high on the Bruins over the next couple of years, and I think uh, they're doing some good stuff uh, over there with uh, Chip Kelly, one of the more underrated coaches in college football. But um, yeah, underrated, Green, you're over here. To, you're over here impressed with Chip Kelly. What after Kyle Whittingham just got just gutted out another win with that starting quarterback. Put some respect on Kyle Whittingham, sir. Kyle Whittingham's a great coach, top ten too. But Chip Kelly, people get people forget about Chip. And I want to see Kyle Whittingham do it at Oregon and UCLA. He's done it at Utah. Let me see Kyle Whittingham in the SEC. I want to see him more in the Big Ten. He probably fits more in the Big Ten. But um, I don't know. I, I like them both. They're both I guess good. he's going to fit in the Big 12 next year. That's true. Uh, Matt Green, your green line stat of the weekend is what, sir? I don't even know where to go with this, but let's let's go to Iowa Penn State for the green line stat of the week. What do you what stat do you want, sir? I like where do I where do I start? Do you want to start with the zero points? Uh, do you mm. want to start with the seventy six total yards with the four turnovers? How about four first downs in an entire football game? Like I, I I've uh, I've seen a few people throwing this stat out, but um. Have you seen the total plays from this game? It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Penn State I... ran 97 offensive plays mm. to 33 for Iowa. It's like 45 to 15 time of possession. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is so, so we can just get into this game, honestly. I feel like I was, I was, uh, drives in this game mm. punt, fumble, punt, 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 punt punt fumble punt fumble and there's also a a punt that hit the guy's back at some point um Mm -hmm. not a muffed punt but what end result the same and and turn the ball over that way too it was like you know there's that paradox of what happens when uh what is it Uh, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object Mm -hmm. like something's got to give that -hmm. was the exact opposite of this game it was an amazing defense, maybe the best defense in college football versus one of the worst offenses in all of power five. And it went exactly as you would expect. Like you can say like, Oh, Penn state, they haven't played a good offense, but it's like this defense is just rowdy. And this offense, this terrible offense did exactly what you would expect against maybe the best defense in college football. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that they went into this game 131st in total first downs. The Iowa Hawkeyes. Is that bad? It's not good. Um, the what more can you say? Like Cade McNamara, obviously not fixing the problem here. But I look at it less from Iowa's perspective because look, Iowa. I before the year I said that they're just still going to sleepwalk into a lot of wins because the schedule is pretty nice for them. Still, like even after this one, like the schedule's not bad and the defense wasn't bad. The defense was solid. It's just not the Iowa defense of two years ago where it could like just the unreal best in the big 10. Like you just can't do anything against them. They're a top 20 defense in the country. Like this is still a good Iowa defense, borderline great. Um, 
but they're not elite. And the only way for this Iowa team to function to nine to 10 wins is they have to, the defense has to be top five. The defense has to be otherworldly and takeaways. The defense has to give super short fields and score touchdowns. The defense has to score touchdowns um, with what Iowa's working with. And the offense has to help them out a little bit. Don't yeah. just give the other team short fields with the turnovers. Like they can't run the ball. Like that's the one thing with a lot of these, you know, the, the the so the, the stone age off the offense type of uh deal like what people hate on those type of teams it's like but they're based on running the ball like if you can run the ball you can play that dominant defense play keep away or whatever but they can't even run the ball and that's why like brian ference i why was this man why was this man pounding his chest last week could they beat like western carolina or something some sort of directional school right last week and so they were at 85 points through three games so i think they were sitting at like 28 points a game now after getting blanked 31 to zero like now you got now you're not now you're under the 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 target and everybody knows about it and like why even say anything the week before maybe the best team on your entire schedule no that's fair i just so when you think about this game outside of Iowa and the offense being terrible. And like I alluded to with the defense and still the defense is good. And it's going to keep them in a lot of games the rest of the way. I take of this more. And also we should mention that it was like a hurricane in the second half. Like they, like it was one of those monsoon type situations where that was part of the reason for the disparity, not the whole reason, but the second half did get really crazy in terms of uh, weather and conditions for this one. Um, also great venue. I just love the whiteout uh, at Penn state. It's a great look on TV and it's just, um, it's like one of those bucket list uh, type environments, I think, for every college football fan, because it really is something else um, to see uh, on the big screen. But um, my biggest thing is like this is a statement victory for Penn State. I don't know if you agree with this, Matt Green, but 31 nothing blanking. Him, we talked about it going into this game where I was like the under talked about everyone's just focusing on Drew Aller in this offense. But it's really the Penn State defense, which is a top five elite defense in the country so you're looking at it where drew Aller's gonna only get better and the offense is only get better because it really hasn't had any explosive plays at this point and it wasn't like they really had a bunch here against iowa the offense is the last thing that we're waiting on with penn state and we know it's coming what we didn't know was that this penn state defense was going to be this good and this penn state defense is college football playoff good when you match it with the offense that they're going to be uh working with down the stretch so I, I look at this more than anything as like a big statement win for Penn State that like we're not playing we're not playing with our food with Iowa. We're not playing our food with Purdue or something else. Like this team is like, no, 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 no. We've it kind of reminds me of the Michigan jump where they're just taking care of business against uh teams that are inferior than them in the Big Ten. And that's just their season relies on two games. <laughs> and it's Michigan and uh Ohio State. That's their year, but they're not gonna I don't think we're going to see Penn State in any dogfights and any mess mess of a game this year there uh, in the Big Ten. I don't know if you agree with that, but it feels like that's what this game showed me more than anything else is they're not going to fall victim to previous uh, Penn State teams where they just kind of play well, down to their competition. Saying, <clears throat> yeah, if you're saying in terms of the inferior competition, yeah. like they're going to get in some dogfights with Ohio State and Michigan. Right. But in terms of everybody else, yeah, it feels like they're a level above and they're kind of they're kind of showing it like. Yeah, for those of us, for those that picked Penn State to uh, win the Big Ten preseason, despite Ohio State's big win, I think you got to be feeling good uh, about them through through the first four games. Well, speaking of Ohio State, let's go to Ohio State, Matt Green. Where, whew, um, this is one of the 
I mean, there was you alluded to the Bush push, and that was my first thought, and a lot of other folks when you saw the end of this game and how it unfolded. But the Bush push, Notre Dame fans could be mad at officials. They could be mad at USC. In this situation, they're mad at their coaching staff where they had 10 men on the field, Macri, not once, twice. Coming out of a timeout, they still had 10 men on the field. And then you have your coach after the game saying you don't want to risk the penalty by sending the guy out there. Here's the thing. They can only move the ball half a foot if you get called for a penalty. Like, you're already on the one. What are you worried about? If you realize that you got to run out there. Yes, 1,000%. I mean, once is bad. Twice is unconscionable in this kind of scenario when you're making this kind of money when you're on this kind of stage i just i don't know how you come back from that you lose so much trust with the fans you lose so much trust from like i mean just the the past horrors of notre dame football and big games i mean you're right there like you should have won this game ohio state gave you every opportunity to win this football game matt green and they just gave it away and look Ohio State's defense deserves a lot of credit for not breaking at the end there and getting the offense one more crack at it. And the ball of the night was Kyle McCord to Abuka, like deep down the field. What was it? Third and 19 um, was just bonkers. Like it was a big, big time throw. This game reminded me a bit of what Texas did to Bama, right? Where Quinn Ewers, we were unsure about to this point, all the talent, five-star kid. He had his ups and downs. And then he just had these, he had some big second half dimes that See, brought but texas dominated alabama no no, no. what like, i'm saying they is were for... the clear better team what i'm saying is we looked at texas as a national like that was their okay they can win big games on the road against top 10 competition they're a legitimate conference they're a legitimate title team the, uh, that can win the title i think ohio state doing that calmed a lot of people's worries about ohio state through the first couple of weeks where it's like yeah, we can wonder about Ohio State and if this group is going to work. It's like, no, I think they're going to be just fine and be in the thick of things once again. So that's what I'm comparing them to Texas and that win against Alabama was to go into Notre Dame, win an ugly game, win a game that you had no business winning against a very good Notre Dame team and to have that final drive be what it was. And then like you get past the jet sweep call on fourth and one, which was really embarrassing. That could have been yeah. lights out. You overcome all of those and you already have the talent. The defense is showing up in a big way. We talk about Penn State's defense. Ohio State's defense is really good as well. I just look at it as like Kyle McCord is going to get better. Like he still only has a couple starts in him and he had those big time throws that I I just, we've seen this before with Ohio State quarterbacks. He's going to get better. He's in a great system. There's talent everywhere. They have a top three roster in the sport. I think that's just one of those where, man, sometimes we just think overthink Ohio State. And if you're Notre Dame, you're just sick because that was, you should have won that game and you win that game 99 times out of 100. Um, when you replay every circumstance and I just I don't know I couldn't imagine being a Notre Dame fan today because that just cannot happen and I don't even know how you regroup for next week no it's definitely a heartbreaker because I mean as clutch as that drive was but like you have them at third and 19 like you can't give up third and 19 like that's where as big as the the 10 men on the field was for the last two plays it's like the third and 19 is is where the game was won, you know, like that just that kept Ohio State alive, got the ball inside the the two yard line like that was just that was the backbreaker right there. But I feel like 
you look at Ohio State, like I feel like at the end of the day, I think Notre Dame was the better team in this game and, and probably should have won, but Ohio State was able to pull it out, like you said. There's sometimes you you get these 17-14 games and you know it's just no offense. It's like I feel like you could tell both of these teams were just were this game was just being played at a high level. Like this was just a, a big time defensive uh, matchup and both of these these are I think going to be two of the best defenses in the country uh, in college football this year. So it's um it's definitely a big time win for Ohio State, like maybe the biggest win in college football so far this season. And while I think it's huge for Ohio State, the questions I had for them like coming into this season, I think are still there. Like I don't think they could have won a game like this three or four years ago without the offense doing this much. But they now they look like they're constructed more like. Penn State and Michigan are constructed. And if that's the case, they might not have the advantage in the quarterback uh, room in terms of versus Michigan and, and Penn State. But in terms of what their play individual playmakers are capable of, like if, if they're just going to get in this physical game of like the defenses or holding the other team's offense, at the end of the day, they have Travion Henderson and hopefully Marvin Harrison Jr. is healthy moving forward and Emeka Ibuka. So it's like you have to feel a little bit better at o- about Ohio State's offense than these other teams in the Big Ten. But yeah, I mean, it was it was massive for them, especially without Harrison uh, for a little bit in this game. It was, uh, it, it was a huge win for Ohio State. We also have to talk about after the game and the comments. I'll, oh, before I even mention that, Matt Green, I just also want to point out where like, and this was in the family group chat that I was mentioning about Ohio State, where... A lot of people hate Ohio State. I think actually more SEC fans hate Ohio State than Notre Dame fans. And I'm sure they were watching this game like, I wish both would lose. There are so many SEC fans. Just fingers crossed there was a way for both these teams to suffer heartbreak. Feels like Notre Dame fans don't have hate in their heart. No. Everyone well, hates them, so they're just, they're just glad when someone doesn't hate them. Right. And they were the weird underdog in this one that I think a lot of people just liked. And they were like, oh, this is their moment. It, it did feel like they had more uh, people behind them. But what yeah. I'm saying is... 11 and 2, 11 and 2, 7 and 1, but that was the COVID year. 13 and 1, 13 and 1. That's all Ryan Day. Ryan Day doesn't lose regular season games. And you go back before that, you're looking urban, 13 and 1, 12 and 2, 11 and 2, 12 and 1, 14 and 1, 12 and 2, 12 and 0. They haven't won less than 11 games, Matt Green, disregarding the COVID year, since 2011. And before that, they had another streak. And 2004 so it's happened twice in 20 years basically that they've won less than double digit games less than a lot like i think people just like to panic about ohio state at the beginning of the year every year and part of it's their schedule and they just seemly they for sometimes they just seem to sleepwalk into these early ones but they almost beat georgia they gave georgia the best shot of anyone last year i understand they lost cj stroud and company but like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emmanuel Buka is just about as good of a wide receiver duo as you're going to get in the sport. Trayvon Henderson's healthy. They're running. They have multiple dudes. The defensive line is elite. They're going to have multiple first rounders on that front. I just think Ohio State is going to be right there. And I, th- I think if you watch that game, if you're like a Penn State fan, you're like, I was really counting on us putting it all together the year, like Ohio State having a little bit of a step back year. And I just see, I, I didn't just- get that. I disagree. I don't think there's like a, a yearly, I don't think there's an annual panic about Ohio State. Like there's mm. there's times where they play with their food and stuff, but for the most part, they're, they drop 50 and all these, 50, 60 points in all these cupcake games. And I think that's why early on in this season, they're not really doing that. And the quarterback isn't like a, a surefire first round pick, like basically the last 
I don't know, five quarterbacks they've had have been. So it's like or at least three, three or four, right? I mean, you we, got JT go, Barrett, Cardell Jones. You got. But I'm saying you're going way back. We we were going from CJ Stroud to Miller. Justin Fields to Dwayne Haskins. Like that's true. That's, they're going on several years of first round quarterbacks. So if you just look at what Ohio State typically is, they're I think they're not that. So if if I'm mm. Penn State, like Penn State hasn't had the marquee game yet for Ohio State, but like. From what I thought of these two teams coming into the preseason, like I still wouldn't say that Ohio State is better than Penn State. Like they've, they've, they they have a better win on their resume. But I don't I don't think you're necessarily panicking because I don't think Kyle McCord looks like that superstar quarterback. Like he might be good enough for with what this Ohio State roster has around them, especially if this defense is as improved as they've as they've looked through four games. But I don't. I don't necessarily think that this win over Notre Dame is like sending a message to to Penn State and Michigan. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Matt Green, um, let's go to Oregon, who um, just drubbed Colorado. And let me just say this: the conversation. Everyone log off. Like all sports media, especially folks that don't watch college football before. Um, this Colorado resurgent, please log off. Like there's some media, I'm not even going to mention who it is right now going back and forth and screen caps and all this. And you're just like, it's not a, not that serious. It's college football. Are we not calling them by name? Who, who's going on? Who is it? I, I'd rather not. Cause I don't want to draw attention <laughs> to it. I'll tell you off air. People know listening to this, who I'm talking about right now, but, um, is it Dan Dockage? No, but it's <laughs> anyway, um, Look, before the year, it, everyone needs to take a deep breath. And that's something that I think not enough folks are doing when it comes to Oregon, Colorado. Like, obviously, the lead up with Dan Lanning and the clicks comment and this, that, and the other. And I just, it, it, I forgot someone who made that comparison of like, that's something Kirby, like in the locker room, would say uh, leading into a big game. It's like what any big coach would do. If you've been around football at all, it's like you find ways to motivate your team and you're trying to separate yourself from the team and make them the enemy. You're trying to do that each and every week. You're trying to find ways to motivate. They're also trying to play chess when it comes to recruiting. Like you want to make a statement. Like you're recruiting against uh, Coach Prime. He is going to recruit well, he's going to bring it. Like, you have to find ways to um, be creative uh, in this fashion because Prime's ahead of schedule and they're cool and they're getting a lot of eyeballs and doing a lot of things that make you wonder about where they're recruiting and what uh, Colorado can ultimately be. All that being said, Colorado got pulverized in this game. And I picked uh, Oregon to win. And my thing going into this game was like, is Bo Nix going to have a Heisman moment? Because this is his opportunity where... A lot of eyeballs are going to be there for Shador. And Shador had to run for his life. That offensive line for Colorado is really bad. And he didn't have a great game. I think it was like 4.8 yards per attempt. But look, Shador will be fine. He'll bounce back. We've seen a lot of good from Shador. He'll be fine. The problem is, and what we talked about, is that the rest of the team was limited. The lines, on the trenches on both sides. Like, Jawan Mitchell is a linebacker who Tennessee had last year. And he was on Arizona State and then got kicked off or whatever. Right before the season, he's still somehow eligible, getting snaps for Colorado. Like, this is not a deep team whatsoever, especially in the trenches. Um, obviously, not having Travis Hunter hindered them slightly. But they were going to get blown out in this game with or without Travis Hunter. They may have scored Oregon, a touchdown or two. Yeah, Travis but <laughs> Oregon's a top 10 team. Oregon looks like a team that can make the college football playoff. 
they are ahead of schedule. They have better players. It kind of reminded me of or, or Oregon, Georgia last year, where there's just like different tiers where it's like they're not there yet. Colorado can get there in a couple years, but they're not there. They're not in the blue chip ratio. They're not at a point where Oregon can just play bully ball and Oregon can just dominate you in a really aggressive way. Bo Nix had a fantastic game in this one. The Bo, uh, Bo Nix to Troy Franklin connection is top notch. And I wonder, I, I just, Oregon's really good and the top of the Pac-12 is great. And I don't really have a strong like, oh, Colorado was all frauds and all this stuff. And it's like mess around and find out people celebrating way too much about the Colorado loss and then people being weird about the Oregon win, like being way too into that. Here's what happened. Colorado is ahead of schedule. They're still going to be like a seven and five, eight and four team. And Oregon looks like a college football playoff contender. Like they're at different points in their trajectory. Like it's all fine, but people just really blew all this out of proportion. A lot of that's the hype going into it. But folks, this is exhausting. We can't do this every week when it comes to Colorado. Like they're going to lose to USC. They're going to lose other games on their calendar. Dion's still doing a great job. Colorado made a great decision in bringing in Dion. Dion's still good for the sport in a lot of ways. It's just silly. Like everyone needs to calm down when it comes to Colorado and Oregon. I don't know if you agree with all of that, but it's it's just an elite team beat a good team with limited depth. I think that was very well said, sir. I think um, you just look at what, and this is what we talked about. Like Oregon was just a really bad matchup for Colorado. Yeah. Like maybe USC at home, you know, get to a shootout, like something can happen. But Oregon actually had the defense that's like, no, they just at the lines of scrimmage, they're a different, they're a different breed. And like that's a good call too, how kind of how Kirby's talked about the the Georgia Oregon game a year ago. It's like so matter of factly, it's like, well, yeah, they they don't have close to as good players. Like, mm -hmm. not even talking shit. It's just that's the reality. But you're you're definitely right. Like it, I really hate how the media has covered Colorado because they've turned them into the most hated team in college football. And it's like, this should be a feel-good story of like. Dion, high-profile athlete, has now turned this team into a relevant program in in six months, basically, since getting the job. So it's like it should be a really good story, but you have so many people rooting against it. It's, it's honestly like Tim Tebow. Like Tim Tebow never did anything that's like actually worth hating, but you just talk about this man twenty-four hours a day, and people don't want to hear what he ate for breakfast. You know, they don't they don't care about it to that level, and it's basically LeBron James is cursed why so many people hate him every time he tweets it's a story on on Sports Center but like you just I was actually watching um Sports Center Friday night and Dan Lanning was on there for a, for a second they asked him like three or four straight questions about Dion like oh this little comment you made was this a shot at Dion it's just like what are we doing here it's just it's it's exhausting really and like even Marcus Freeman was on game day and they asked Marcus Freeman, like, what do you think about what Dion's doing out of Colorado? Like, what do you think he's going to say? Like, oh, I think I think it's flashy and I hate it and it's bad for the sport. It's like, what do you – he's just going to say, oh, he's doing a great job. I respect it. Like, it's just – it's weird how, like, just – I. it's an awesome story, especially the fact that, like, his his own son is involved. Like, let's, let's play the human angle of it, but, like, just – the uh, the amount that's just talked about this this program and yeah it's just it gets I don't know it just gets too much and I won't say like I won't say I'm not like kind of glad that Oregon took him down a peg or two so that maybe we don't maybe this isn't the lead story on game day every week maybe Colorado's like hey 
this is a good program. Watch out for them in the future, like a Josh Heupel Tennessee team was or something like that. And you're not just anointing them. I'm saying year one, by the way. You're not just anointing them that like they're the next champions of college football. Like let's let them let's let them build this up for a couple of years. Yeah, it's just I don't see how this is sustainable. And also, like you said, they're not the villain. It's not like they're inviting. Like they're doing things that get your attention. Like that's what you do with that attention is on you and how you react. Like you're adults. Like there's so many adults just losing their minds in really embarrassing fashion about Prime and Colorado and then Oregon and everything else. It's like I. It's it's not a story, it's, and I'm uh, definitely not one of those that's rooting against them. Like I'm loving no, the no, but also stuff, you're weird. But if you're rooting but against them. It's weird. Like it's genuinely like I'm raising an eyebrow. No, it's at understandable you. to root against them because of what the media has kind of built them into. That like everyone's kind of sick of it. That's that's but that's kind not of Colorado's point. fault. It's not Colorado's. Just like it wasn't Tim Tebow's fault, you True. know. But it's like that's kind of what the media has created, and that's what's unfortunate because. I am on board with with Coach Prime and what Dion's doing, and I'm like loving like Colorado being back. But I did get a little satisfaction. I'm like, okay, just just take it easy. Just you get a little get a little big for your britches, you know. And it's like that's not even their fault. So well, I didn't because the conversations after ramped up. So I'm like, oh, we're gonna do this all year. Like I was hoping that like we would have this come back down where it's like Colorado's not a playoff team. I'm like let's calm it down. Like like that's what I thought was gonna happen. It was just this cool calm. Okay. They have a lot of work to do. Now we know where the tiers are. Like they're not in the Oregon, Washington, USC tier, but they are in the middle of the, like, could they beat Wazoo? Maybe. Like, are they in that middle tier of the Pac-12? That's great for year one. You just want to be in a boat. Like, that's the whole thing. It just takes, get out of the, just log off. Put your phone away, log off, take a walk. Well, even more impressive to what you're saying is that we talked about the Pac-12 like it was going to be this conference of the haves and have-nots this year, that it was like a very defined upper half of the conference, and Colorado was not one of those teams. So if they actually get into that and, who knows, finish top 25 this season or just win seven, eight games, like it's it's a huge success. For sure, Matt Green. Um, Speaking of success, Florida State goes on the road and beats Clemson. Clemson now losing their first uh, two ACC games uh, under Dabo. Was that? I don't remember when that last happened, but um, it had to be a long time ago um, that that was the case. But it was so funny because, again, where it's like it's interesting when I log in or I listen to other people who I respect and like just different things, uh, what their takes are on certain stuff and just to get a feel, a temperature for the room. I think sometimes you're like, wait, do we watch the same game? And this is one of those that I'm like, do we watch the same game where I came out of that like, oh, Florida State can't win the title. Like this is not a team that can win against Ohio State and Georgia back to back. They're not there yet. Keon Coleman's a dude. Johnny Wilson had some big catches late, but like they should have lost this game. Like Clemson, I think you can make the case look better all game long. I think you would, if you play that game a hundred times, Clemson wins 95 plus. And then everyone's like the doom and gloom of Clemson. And what is Clemson going to be? How the sky is falling, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, look, man, I understand the offense still is sputtering and there's still not a lot of juice on that offense for Clemson. They dominated the trenches. Um, in this one, Clemson still has dudes on the offensive and defensive lines. Their defense is still elite in this sport. Uh, Florida state ran the ball 20 times to 22 yards against Clemson. If, as you talked about at the top of the show, if you don't have a kicker off the street, um, who was like, what working in New York, um, earlier in the week, that's a boot. And 
we're talking about Clemson being back and Florida State not being ready. Like it was those little things and that will be forgotten about forever because it's just like, oh, Florida State went to Clemson and beat the Tigers. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, Clemson, I came away like Clemson's fine. Like Clemson's still a top 10, top 15 team. Florida State's somewhere around there. But anyone who came away from that game like, oh, Florida State, their top four team in the country, playoff favorite. I'm like, I don't see that. The schedule is nice for them the rest of the way. Like I would still circle um, Pitt on the road late where, you know, Pitt would love nothing more than to do their Pitt things late in the year um, against the Florida State team. But like, I don't know if you had the same takeaway, but Clemson, I think, look, the Duke game was embarrassing. That was a bad, bad loss. But I came away from this one, like two top 10 teams and Clemson should have won and looked like the better team most of the day. So it makes you probably more annoyed if you're a Clemson fan, but I don't know. I don't know about top 10, but it's funny how the rankings work because I was kind of trying to figure out what my rankings would be. And Mm. I think I had Clemson like 24 or something last week or 25. And Mm. in in our AP poll culture, like they lose to Florida State, they're out of the top 25. And if anything, they proved they were better than you thought yesterday. If If you think Florida State's, some people think the number one team in the country, like three or four first place votes. Like Clemson is definitely better than you thought when you when you woke up on Saturday morning. So I just felt like this was a dangerous spot for Florida State. So I don't necessarily think it's like an indictment on Florida State. Like like you said, Clemson is still a solid program, still a solid defense. Like they, you know, they had a, they had 22 yards rushing and they found a way to win that game on the road. Like a lot of it was an indictment on on Clemson because I think the at the end of the day that lazy narrative is accurate that this is about the transfer portal like we knew this was going to be a a talk a talking point after this game with these two programs vastly different approaches to the portal like you could have used a kicker out of the portal that's for sure like clearly there was some way you could have made your team you know an inch better you know a a percentage point better and maybe you could have won this game versus florida state and maybe that's the difference between you winning the acc and going to the playoff like if you're a one-loss conference champion now this team can't be a one-loss conference champion and you just you have to go you have to look at Dabo's like approach to the portal like it's it might be like just a narrative that people don't want to get into and because they did almost still win the game but they didn't win the game and Florida State's gotten how many starters out of the portal on this team like Clemson could have at least one or two that could that could make a difference. Keon Coleman, I know, could have made a difference on Clemson's side this in this game. No, and that's fair. If your main takeaway is like they need to like the portal plan needs to change, then yeah, I'm a hundred percent there with you. But I'm still not a sky is falling to the end. But like, I mean, even the kicker, I think they had a really high rated kicker, and he hasn't worked out. Like, I'm pretty certain he was a big time recruit, and he has not worked out. So they had to do this off the street guy. So it's like. I don't know. We'll see. But like you said, the main takeaway here is Clemson season's over September 25th. Like that is it's done. Like you can't make the playoff. You can't even make the ACC title game anymore because divisions are gone. So you now lose a tiebreaker against Duke. You lose a tiebreaker against Florida State. You are toast. You're looking like it. Their season. I'd say is that's over. not completely off the table in terms of getting to the AC championship. Like Duke, we think they're a good team, but it's like it wouldn't surprise you if Duke lost three conference games, right? Like it's that wouldn't shock you. So they're North Carolina's me. looking solid, but like North Carolina's far from like a sure thing week to week. They looked solid this week, but it's um we just North Carolina doesn't seem like just a solid team, but. 
they still could own a tiebreaker over North Carolina if they if they beat them in a, in a few weeks. And I think that's in Clemson, if I'm not mistaken, at home. So we'll uh, we'll see. I, I I agree with you. I think this is still a top twenty five team. Like I think they're still solid, but it's uh you got to do something. You because they're not top twenty five was was good enough under Tommy Bowden. Well, it, I guess it wasn't after a while. But um this is this is uncharted waters for Dabo Swinney. Uh, speaking of uncharted waters, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide wandering the QB wilderness over the last few weeks, Matt Green, they calmed some fears. And this was my thing. The reason I picked Alabama going into this week was this is a like a legacy game for Nick Saban. Like all the stuff that Lane Kippen was saying all week long, um, if they lose this game, their season's over uh, to an extent where they can't make the playoff. Um, so you're looking at, and that's part of it too with Clemson. It's like no two team, two lost teams ever made the playoffs. So the last four team playoff ever, I just, it's toast. So it's just different for, for Clemson. What I'm saying for Alabama, they still have one loss. They beat a good old Miss team, hold them to 10 points in this one. It was ugly. Jalen Milrow had a bad pick, but they cleaned it up and the defense looked good. And for me, I think if you're a Bama fan, like you don't feel great, but Old Miss, this kind of reminds me of a couple weeks ago with uh, Texas or Tennessee and Florida, where it's like Tennessee fans felt good. Tennessee's a favorite. Obviously, you've struggled to get that monkey off your back going into Gainesville and getting a dub after 20 years, but you're the better team. You feel like finally we are the better team and we should be like this is a down Florida team. And usually we don't have the talent advantage or they're just a better program and you still lay an egg. And I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, you feel similar uh, this this Sunday uh, because, look, I think Jackson Dart and this team had a lot of reasons for optimism going into Tuscaloosa. And if you're not going to beat Alabama, this version of Alabama this year, when are you going to do it? So I think if you're Lane Kiffin, you're a fan of the Rebs, I think you're kind of you're really just decimated and dismayed at what happened here because that was a really, really poor showing. And I understand we can give a lot of credit for Alabama for taking care of business, but I still don't know if I'm uh, all that convinced on what Alabama is to this point. Um, And I think it's just more, this says more about Ole Miss laying a gigantic egg to me than Alabama solving all of their issues and back to being a college football playoff contender. What say you, Matt Green? Well, I would definitely see how Ole Miss fans could feel that way. Like if not now, when, but at the end of the day, like they still didn't have more talent than this Alabama team. Like, so I think this, this is why I feel like if they're Alabama fans listening out there and you want to know what's going on with the program, just, just listen to the, to this podcast right here. Like we got the pulse of this program right now. Like this, cause this is what kind of how I felt about Alabama. Like they're going to be able to bully a lot of the teams on their schedule and have a really good defense. that's going to shut down a lot of opponents and this style with this team built around Jalen Milrow with actually design runs, which Ole Miss did do a pretty good job of stopping Milrow on a lot of the designed runs. But you just look at what, how this team had to be built and you're, you can win a lot of games that way, but it's when you face the teams that have the NFL quarterback on the other side, or just the elite elite, both sides of the ball. It's like, that's when I think Alabama's going to struggle when the quarterback's having to make more of the decisions and more is on Jalen Milrow throwing the ball. But this is not what Ole Miss is. And I think that's why Alabama, you saw they were able to McClellan rush for 100 yards in this game. Like you, you saw that they were able to just kind of 
you know, after that first touchdown drive, like Ole Miss basically didn't do anything offensively. And obviously the, uh, the fourth downs, like Lane Kiffin's gonna, gonna go for it on a lot of fourth downs. And he had some success on fourth down in this game. But I think, um, if you're Alabama, like this is what I was trying to say. That's like the dynasty's over, but this isn't rock bottom. Like you're still a, a really good team and they'll be able to beat a lot of the teams on their schedule. They could definitely still win the, the SEC West. Like I'm not, I'm not definitely not going to say A&M or, or LSU is clearly better than them to this point. So I just, my biggest takeaway from this game. And I mean, I've, I feel like I've been saying it for a year plus is that Ole Miss is a fraud like they they've been frauds like lane kiffin is honestly a fraud like they they just this team like who is lane kiffin beaten since they took since he took over old miss like what is his marquee win like this guy is a he's two and six since being at old miss against teams that finish ranked and those two wins were 2020 indiana and 2021 arkansas you know not gonna say anything about those two teams they were solid teams those years but they weren't great. And I think it was the game where Sam Pittman, they scored at the end and went for the win and didn't get it, lost like 52-51. It's like, that's their, like, he doesn't have like these Mike Leach type of, oh, you can't count out Lane Kiffin, you know, like they're gonna they're gonna pop up and beat somebody. Like they haven't really done that. You like look at the last couple of years too, it feels like they score so many of their points against the bad competition and just kind of pad their stats. And they're just, in SEC play, they're just so average. So. I just I was never really bought in on Ole Miss, and now seeing because honestly I don't think Alabama's the clear number one in the West. Like they could be the one in the West, but I look at Alabama, LSU, and A and M kind of all up there together, and like this is just the first game Ole Miss has played in conference, and they've they scored ten points. So like yeah, scoring seventy against Mercer is cool, but like it, your stats are gonna look real nice or averaging fifty points a game or something. But that's that's not what this offense is, and I just. I think there's still a long way for Ole Miss to go. And I'm just, I'm not convinced that like they're not in the bottom half of the SEC West at the end of the year. Wow. Bottom half. I mean, you saw what Arkansas looked like against uh, LSU this week and in death Valley, like they almost beat LSU. So it's like, I'm, I'm not ruling out that Ole Miss is better than like anyone in the West, like maybe Auburn, but like Auburn, Mississippi state, Auburn and Mississippi state, I would say, and but Arkansas. that's, I'm not. I'm not 100% convinced there. When when do we got Ole Miss Arkansas? Is that coming up soon? Because I just I'm not impressed with Ole Miss. This feels like just this feels the same as the the Matt Corral teams. Where yeah, you score a mm. bunch of points against the the good teams, and then uh, you kind of get brought down to earth against everybody else. But they got a LS LSU this week, and then uh, Arkansas the week after. So. We'll, we'll see. We're going to find out what Ole Miss is all about, but I'm just, I'm not buying them. And at the end of the day, I feel like Lane Kiffin may be the most overrated coach in college football because everyone just likes him. You but remember like, what you're talking about done? Ole Miss, right? Like you remember who you're talking about. Yeah, it's Ole Miss. Like they have, they're not a, a cellar dweller. Like Ole Miss has had plenty of history as a college football program. History in what context, Matt Green? They've been a competitive team under. They haven't won the SEC West before, but it's like that's they a big. Hold on, are you still haven't won it under Lane Kiffin either? Like, who are you taking over him? Tommy Tuberville, Houston Nutt. Who is better? He's the best coach in Old Miss history. What are we talking about? There's no way he's better than Houston Nutt to this point, right? Yes. 
what? He's won 10 games, eight games, and he's on his way to another eight and nine. Like he's been, this is year four. He his first be. year was a COVID year. He might be on his year, on his way to an eight win season, or they might go six, seven wins. Like he's I really 26 don't know. and 14 to this point at Ole Miss. Is that good? At Ole Miss, they yes. They don't play anybody at a conference. Like that, they got four automatic they beat wins. Too at lame. Yeah, Tulane is Tulane. Like they were a top ten team last year. I mean, they finished top ten in the rankings. We know how the rankings work. What did they? They didn't play. What they beat one Power Five team the They're whole season a good last team. year. What are Tulane is a res- hate. What is the lane hate? Tulane is a respectable. You? Tulane is a respectable G five program, but it's not like a big time win. Like Lane if Kiffin anything, is- it was a closer game than it probably should have been. If you're a legit SEC team. This you know, uh, this old mistake, I can't sign off. I think if, it's a, if you're a truly ranked SEC team and you're playing Tulane, you should beat them by at least multiple scores. I'm sorry, what especially season have Tulane, you been watching this year? Especially Tulane with their backup quarterback. Like, Matt, have you seen the SEC this year? Everyone struggling with everybody. What? You, Bama barely got away from a South Florida victory. Like yeah, what are we was, talking about here? And and that's that's Mizzou the Bama beat team that Memphis just beat Ole Miss seven. by two. That's the Bama team that just beat Ole Miss by two touchdowns. That's what I'm saying. Ole Miss should be worried. Oh my goodness, this is this Alabama is could easily be the third best team in the SEC West. Lane year, Kiffin right? deserves a lifetime contract at Ole Miss. Like yeah, like, if they're cool with with his with his antics and how his PR with the program and his Twitter account, and he's fun and he's likable. If they're cool, great with all offensive that, then mind. Cool. He's a top ten offensive mind in the sport. I mean, maybe, but you look at what they've done. Look, the last oh my twenty twenty three, they averaged thirty point one points per game versus right. power five competition, forty one a game against whatever garbage teams they played at a conference. Twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one, they averaged forty six points per game against the garbage teams at a conference and twenty eight mm-hmm. points a game versus the SEC. It's like it's a it's a drastic difference when the competition is is better. Like they're they're just I feel like they're just they're frauds. They're not that tight. Like I just I never I never believed in Ole Miss. And I feel like after this week, like I I think we're gonna find out in the month of October that Ole Miss is gonna end up with it. They're gonna be leaving October. Let me see what the actual October is. That A and M is is in November. A and M. Luckily for them, they got A and M in Georgia in November. But you look at this team, they're going to have at least one, if not two more losses in the next. I mean, they're, they're not beating Georgia. They're not going to beat. I mean, I would doubt they beat LSU. They might get one of LSU or Arkansas, but this team's losing at least four games this year. I think eight and four at absolute best. And if that's if that's just the, the, the floor has been raised and you're fine with it, then that's fine. But I just, they're not... They're not like he's not taking the program to like a new level to me. Like I just, I don't know. You you could see it differently, but I just I'm I'm not. It's what it's year four now. It's it's the SEC. It's Ole Miss. Like, is he not supposed to win anything? He's in the toughest division in the sport. What do you want from and him? Alabama's down. For that the division first time. is down right now. What do you, we don't even know they're down. They still might win the West. They still. Are I mean, right they're there. clearly down. They could they could win the West, but they are clearly not. They could as good beat as Georgia been. this year and still make the playoff. 
They could definitely do that. But I'm saying Alabama's clearly, through four weeks, they're clearly not as good as they've been in recent years. Lane Kiffin, come on the podcast. Matt Green won't be a part of it. He will not be invited. This hey. is, this haterade has been... Um, I, I love Lane Kiffin as a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a coach, as a personality. He's an awesome guy for the sport. But I just, I, I feel like there's a... There's a perception of how good he is versus how much people like him. And I just, I think it's off. Oh my God. Great That's OC. Wild. Not going to, not going to minimize anything he did at Alabama as an OC and everything, but I don't know this obsession with Ole Miss. I think we just, we kind of overrate them every single year. Wow. Okay. That, that just, that caught me completely off guard. I don't even know where to go with the rest of this podcast. <laughs> um, you disagree? Let's, you were impressed with the offensive guru and the ten points they scored against they Alabama? They had a bad game. I don't. I started this whole thing with like they laid an egg. What was my takeaway? That like they missed their best shot. Like that's what I'm saying. Like that was a that's a rough, rough loss if you're an Ole Miss fan. But again, you're Ole Miss. Like we, you are Jefferson Pilot Sports personified for our entire up. Like you're over here. Like is Jeremiah Masoli transfer going to be the one? Is Brent Schaefer going to be the one? Like. What are we doing? It took a hey those crazy... Eli those Eli Manning years. They had some some excellent years. Excellent, Lane Kiffin. What excellent? What were they eight and four? They won ten games. No, they won ten games. Uh, Eli's last year. Great. Was it, it took a first round three. All right. It took a Manning to get to ten wins at, at Ole Miss. What are we talking about? David Hugh Freeze won nine games. Won ten games. He may have been cheating, but that's not the point. Yeah, that is the point. That you have to throw that out the window. What are we talking about? And then also, ten wins once. Four and seven, seven and six, seven and four, seven and five, eight and four. Lane Kiffin is going to be better than all of these guys. You go through it. It's like, what are we doing? Give Lane Kiffin time. Unlimited but like what I just no. I I, I won't so hear he's for it. Five and five year one, ten and three year two. Hold on. The year one's thrown out. Five. It's COVID. He started in COVID. That's fine. Ten and three, year two. Eight and five, year three. And what if he follows it up with a seven and seven and five, seven and six? Great. They lose the bowl game. Who cares? You're old Miss. I, mean, I, I don't think he's one of the best co coaches in college football. If he's doing, I didn't say one like of the that. best. I'm saying he's in the top fifteen. He's somewhere in there. Maybe. I'm. Oh, uh, I'm not goodness. sold. Not sold. All right. I, I don't know what to do with this conversation. Um, Matt Green, let's uh, pivot to uh, something that's not going to uh, just keep me all fired up in these late Sunday night hours. Um, <laughs> USC. I think you have a take on USC, sir. Um, I would say a nice little, little, tran little segue, Lane Kiffin to USC. Um, USC is going to get beat. That's my take. Like This team is just is too flawed like arizona state like this team got shut out by fresno state who was it? they lost to oklahoma state oklahoma state has been awful this year mm. and they got beat pretty handedly by oklahoma state so like arizona state has not been good and this was a game halfway through the fourth quarter like they were just going blows for blows i actually did stay up and i think this game may have ended at like two in the morning it was a it was a late one but i was uh, i was rallying um but yeah, Caleb Williams is like probably not one of his better games. I mean, statistically, it still looked pretty good. But this um, Arizona State was getting some stops, and they were uh, just making. I think this defense is just not good enough to to really get through this Pac-12 schedule. I think without without more than without 
at least one loss. I think this team's going to lose multiple games in the in the Pac-12. I mean, part of that's how good the Pac-12 is, and I think it just it feels like same old Lincoln Riley with like a less less talent advantage than he than he had at Oklahoma. So I think it's. I think they're going to get beat if they keep unless there's an improvement on the defensive side of the ball. This this offense is is fun to watch. Zachariah Branch is like the next superstar, but um, I don't know with what they have on defense. I just I can't see this team as being like a legit playoff contender. Drew Pine's really bad. Arizona State was really banged up, but like this USC defense is not serious. That's why I was like they're not a play, like they're not a contender. We do this every year. Like the Grinch stuff is just never it's just never going to work. Like. So Connor Morissette, who covers uh, USC at USC football, he tweeted out, ASU just scored a TD in a five-play, 75-yard drive. This is a team that hadn't scored a point in their last six quarters coming into tonight. Like, what are we doing? We know how this is going. We know where this is. Like, you gave it 28 points. I mean, it's just, they're not a, there's Washington's here, Utah's here and um even wazoo could give this team problems but uh especially cam Moore and the way he's playing to this point and then uh oregon like it's just you're not in that tier like usc is not gonna be in the college football playoff like let's go ahead and get rid of that this defense is not good enough they are not good enough and lincoln riley not making that change and not trying something else bear alexander is not gonna fix the problem altogether in the portal like it's it's just more schematic than anything because they have a lot of talent. They, it's not like they don't have uh, blue chippers in the defense. It's just a lot of it's scheme and a lot of it's just a stubbornness on uh, a certain play style on defense. It's just not. It's going to limit what uh, can ultim- what they can ultimately be, and it's just going to be kind of a kind of a waste here for can uh, for um, why am I like uh, Caleb Williams uh, at the tail end of his uh, college football career. Um, on a happier note, can I throw this out before we uh, hit on uh, our teams here to close things out tonight, Matt Green? Yeah, hit me. I think Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback in the SEC this year. And this was not something I had before the year. It's why I'm so curious as to why Tennessee opened as 11.5 point home favorites over South Carolina uh, this week. Um, we'll see what to make of that. But I don't know if you watched any of Mississippi State uh south carolina uh late on saturday but yeah what did he start 18 for 18 or something he went full grace and lambert over there mac (laughs) and rattler is just dealing and he's dealing deep there's like something amazing about what spencer rattler is doing to this point and it's scary like he has a terrible offensive line and this dude is dealing when spencer rattler is rolling there aren't as there aren't many more fun quarterbacks to watch and he takes deep shots like 18 to 20 he finishes for 300 yards 14 yards per attempt like that's bonkers no picks no anything like spencer rattler and this is a good zach Garnett defense like mississippi state has problems but it's not really on defense um to this point but they have a lot they're older there are a lot of vets on this defense a lot of returning starters and he completely diced him up i understand playing at home at night in south carolina someone who just experienced that last year what that's like it's tough but Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, their record is not indicative of where they are as a program. They've been banged up with injuries. Obviously, you take Georgia to the woodshed in the first half there, and you can't hold it together for four quarters. But like, hey, great performance uh, on the road in Athens. Um, I don't know. I just I don't know if you agree with this, but I think my takeaway through four weeks of the college football season, Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback in the SEC, and I think if he was behind, like. If he was on a better team or a team that didn't have the kind of schedule that South Carolina had, 
through uh, four weeks, I think he would be uh, highly, highly talked about to this point in the year as a Heisman type of guy because he's having an individual Heisman type year and he's really quietly bounced back and been a, he's picked up right where he left off at the end of last year. Yeah, I think that's a great call. And I think that's why last week I was like, I know this, I'm going to sound like a homer because this guy had a good, a good game against my team and now I'm going to hype him up. But it really felt like Spencer Rattler is is kind of taking his game to the next level. So and I think part of it's like the, there's a lot of uncertainty with a lot of these SEC quarterbacks. But to this point, I'd, I'd say you kind of have to be the the most impressed with him compared to, to any of the other quarterbacks in the SEC. And and Xavier Leggett, that dude is an mm. absolute monster. Like he's got some, some DK, some DK Metcalf in him. Like he's like six three, like two thirty, and that dude, uh, that dude can move. So uh, that's gonna be a tough one to stop uh, for Tennessee next week. But yeah, South Carolina definitely looks improved, but I'm not sure they're like we're actually gonna see it in the win loss record at the end of the season. I agree. Um... Last one real quick before we hit uh, our own teams, Matt Green. Peyton Thorne was really bad in Auburn. That offense is in shambles. Um, I would sell the Auburn Tigers the rest of the way here. I think this Peyton Thorne, it's also one of those late portal additions that people just penciled in Auburn, good. And like Peyton Thorne, could he be a, a plug and play? And Hugh Free, still a good offensive mind. I'm still not worried about Auburn long term. But I think the rest of this year, they, are, they were exposed in a major way against top 15, top 10 competition in texas a&m on the road um six to 12 for 44 yards 3.7 yards per attempt for thorn they only ran as a, uh the backs uh ran for 3.5 yards per carry and texas a&m just i mean outside of the hilarious jimbo being on the field um <laughs> during a, a scoop and score in this one you lose connor wegman to what looked like a bad injury i hope that's not a long-termer but it looked like a pretty gruesome and he was like screaming in agony uh with the ankle injury so i don't know what that means but max Max Johnson, fully capable of keeping this thing afloat. But big, nice win for Hanum to take care of business. But I I think Auburn is sneaky uh, in a lot of trouble on offense the rest of this year because I don't think they have the answer at quarterback yet. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good call. I think uh, I'm not sure what exactly to make from AM. Like, is can Max Johnson, like, this offense start to move a little bit better once uh, Max Johnson came to the game? So. I don't know, but um, it's it's a nice uh, nice luxury to have a, a solid backup. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Auburn they got some problems. But the amount of the amount I saw Robbie Ashford in the game on on Saturday, I was just thinking, oh, oh boy, they they don't know what they don't know what the fix is at quarterback. No. Um, well, Matt Green, your team uh, played UAB uh, Saturday night. Didn't uh, watch a whole lot of this one. So let the good folks know what happened with the dogs as they continue their undefeated strength. And Kirby Smart breaks a big time record uh, with Bear Bryant, Nick Saban and company uh, with one of the, I think what the best better start than any of those guys. Uh, yeah, first hundred games and those records they were showing for those guys were their first hundred games at Alabama, not their actual mm. first hundred games as a college football coach. But yeah, Kirby Smart uh, broke both of those guys' record, eighty-five and fifteen, and the first hundred games as a as a head coach, which is like an NCAA record. So big time stuff. Kirby Smart just goat status already. No. But he's got Georgia moving in the right direction, obviously. This UAB game, it, it felt like it was another one of those where Georgia just wasn't like super, super crisp coming out of, you know, it's seven, was it 7-0 at the end of the first quarter? Like it was, 
it was fine. It felt like the announcers went into this game like wanting to like wanting Georgia to be bad and wanting to talk about it. Because me and my brother were just joking. It was like 7-0 at the end of the first. Like, what is wrong with Georgia? And it's like five minutes later, it's like 21-7. Like, I don't know. It was 28-7, I think, until UAB scored late in the first half. But it was a it was an odd like conversation. But I think Georgia took care of business. Like Carson Beck, I think. I think that's what a lot of people should be talking about. Like he's through the first four games, like the offense hasn't been just super smooth the whole time. But like, think about when Stetson Bennett was the quarterback. Stetson Bennett did not put up his best numbers against the the G five schools. Like it was against it was the college playoff college ball playoff games. It was the the Tennessee game. You know, is these these actual big time ranked performances. The Oregon game. Like that's when Georgia actually opened the playbook and you could really see what they can do. Not not making that an excuse because obviously the South Carolina game, they were actually legitimately struggling offensively. But through the first four games, this guy's throwing six touchdowns, one pick, completing 72% of his passes, throwing for almost 300 yards a game. Like Georgia's had a very productive passing offense through the first four games against nobodies, but it's it's still been there. He's, he's done all he can really do. And I think the biggest thing is this guy is is can move a little bit. Like I think most people thought that this guy was just kind of a statue, but he's already in these first couple games has made a couple plays with his legs that really surprised you, and you kind of didn't expect that uh, from Carson Beck. But I think this game, this game, you got to see a little more Brock Bowers. He was getting fed in this one, so that's always a good sight because when Brock Bowers is going, this Georgia offense is is cooking basically. So. I think uh, 21 points, definitely more than you want to see Georgia give up in one of these games. But I think it was like in the third string defense in the fourth quarter. So 49-21, like it was uh, not the most exciting game, but it's like as much as we can learn from a game like this, it's like it it was fine. Like uh, the the running game, like you still got to worry about how how shallow the the backfield is. But Dejon Edwards, I think, has kind of solidified himself as – as the number one guy in this running back room. All right, I like it. Uh, on the, the, la- Tennessee- the last yeah. thing, I'll last thing I'll say for the fourth game in a row, Georgia's completed the ball double to double digit players have caught a pass for mm. the fourth week in a row, and I think that's the biggest thing. If Georgia's just they're super deep, like obviously some of it's garbage time, guys getting in, but a lot of it is just it's rah rah Thomas, it's it's uh, what's it? Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint had multiple. Bi- uh, big plays in this one. Dominic Lovett, you see, obviously, uh, Brock Bowers, and then even Arian Smith had another one. And in, the, in this game, too, is 49-21. Beck missed a wide-open uh, Jackson Meeks. It would have been like a 60-yard touchdown mm. um, in the second quarter for all the Bobo people out there that want to hate on the play calling. Sometimes it's the execution and not the OC. And then there was another deep shot that could have been another 60-70 yard touchdown that Arian Smith just, just straight-up dropped. So, this offense is uh not only is has it been scoring a lot of points, but I think Beck has definitely shown that like this offense has like that take the top off the defense ability, and so I think we we just all want to see Georgia play somebody. And it's like four weeks in, it feels like Georgia's season hasn't started. They're still number one. I'm kind of surprised in the like kind of how unanimous it still is. Like there's obviously some first place votes out there, but as far as the AP poll, it's like they're still about 90% of the first place votes are, are to Georgia. So it's uh, hopefully at Auburn, you know, and, and then we'll see the schedule ramp up here in a few weeks. But 
but yeah, it's it's just been a little boring so far, and you don't really know what to make of, of how good this team really is. There you go. Um, on the Tennessee side, I'll just say, um, look, the score is not completely indicative of what happened in this one. Uh, UTSA had a great third quarter. Um, they uh, Tennessee just came out of the half very sluggish. I mean, Joe Milton having an 81-yard touchdown run on the first play uh, was not something I had on my scorecard. Like, I didn't think that was possible um for joe but it was a great way to start tennessee started strong it was some it was what tennessee looked like the last two years was the first quarter was jumping on teams early uh putting them in a hole and putting a lot of pressure on them in a raucous environment neelan was going and it's just a really tough place to play when you're playing uh behind uh the sticks early behind the the scorecard and everything else but um dylan sampson had a gigantic day and that was a big one because he didn't get a carry against florida and a lot of folks were wondering why that was um and he's he had a big breakout game so i'm curious what uh the running back rotation looks like there with him jabari small and jalen wright who got banged up a lot of injuries in this one for tennessee is kind of concerning so we'll see what happens there now it looks like cooper will be back uh for south carolina the uh longtime starter for tennessee at center that's going to be huge to get him back um and get this offensive line as close to uh full strength as humanly possible Brew McCoy and company look great, uh, but uh, there were still some misses. Joe didn't. Joe had a really bad stretch where he missed, I think, nine passes in a row, um, and that was a lot of it late in the second quarter and going into most of the third. And then he gets banged up with his knee a little bit, and we were like, "Uh oh," because uh, he fell in a really rough way that looks like kind of like it kind of looked like what Tom Brady did when he tore his ACL, the way he gets crunched there um, going down. But thankfully. It looks like he'll be he'll be all right, but the defense just could not get off the field again on third down. Uh, made a backup quarterback look, uh, third string quarterback look really good against them in that one. But it's hard to take too much away from what the defense did, especially the secondary that played really well. It's like this was not a great UTSA team, and not like a UTSA team you can gleam too much from. But my eyes went to Spencer Rattler, where I'm like he's coming to town. We saw what Florida did against the secondary. I being at home is a big part of this. Like if you were going on the road, like you couldn't pay me enough money to put money on Tennessee to beat South Carolina on the road this year. At home, they're just a different team because guess what evaporated this week, Matt Green? The pre-snap penalties. They were they had I think one in this game. Like you they just they're a different team at home where you don't put yourself in first and fifteen because of crowd noise and everything else and having to check things and change the play at the line. They're just so comfortable there. I think Hypo is just going to have a really crazy home winning record because it's just, it's just really, really hard to beat Tennessee in this kind of offense when they're in their own building. So I'm curious to see how that, I think that's the reason that it's an 11 and a half point spread for the balls against South Carolina, because I think it's just really hard to beat this team offensively when they don't beat themselves. If that makes sense. I think they're, the floor is just really high at home for Tennessee. Now they got to clean up stuff on the road, like at Georgia, at Florida, everywhere else at South Carolina. But at home, this team is still just when they're clicking, they had four touchdowns in uh, like a a cumulative five minutes here. Uh, And this one, like that's the bread and butter. Like that's just that's the best version of Heupel's offense. So we saw the best version again in this one, which was good. But um, we'll see if the secondary can hold up against uh, uh, South Carolina on uh, Saturday night. I'll be there. My dad is coming up for that one. So it'll be dark mode, Tennessee wearing the the dark mode uniforms uh for this one and, oh is that right yeah and i'm just worried about the atmosphere because this has a lot of 2021 old miss vibes to it with the mustard bottles and the golf balls and everything else because what is that 
just the 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 intensity of the the fans the yeah the, the rivalry factor. is strong fans really don't like shane beamer and south carolina fans really don't like tennessee and the last two games have been blowouts on both sides and what south carolina did last year to end tennessee's year i'm it's just bad blood there's a lot of bad blood with this one and i'm just kind of worried about a full day of a lot of folks drinking uh all day long in knoxville for this one and heading into the sand if this one gets tight I, i'm a little concerned about how this one will go matt green i'm not gonna lie 11 and a half point favorite too. That's uh, well, we shall see, sir. Well, there you go. Okay, uh, got, any final got, thoughts? Yeah, I got one final thought here. Uh, I got to give the basketball blue blood update. Mm. Uh, so we lost one this past week. Uh, UCLA Bruins, you know, that's going to happen. They faced a better Utah team. So they're a basketball blue blood that's no longer undefeated. And so uh, the rest of them, they all are still undefeated. Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. But it's going to end next week. I'm afraid all of them, except for North Carolina, they they uh, they got a bye week next week. But uh, Kentucky's got Florida, Kansas has got Texas, and Duke's got Notre Dame next week. So we'll see if any of those blue bloods can uh, can get out of next week. I'm doubtful. So North Carolina might be the uh, the, the final one left. There you go, Matt Green. Always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you in a couple days. Yes, sir. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.